Thanks for listening to the Grace First podcast. If you want to know more about us, head on over to gracefirst.church. Or if you're in the Wichita area, come visit us Sundays at 1015. It's a joy to be here again. Um, I brought this here for an illustration. I'm not going to eat it from the pulpit. Yeah, just an illustration. Um, It will come in handy. As my family and I get ready to go to Ghana, we are so encouraged to see faithful ministries like Grace First in the U.S. And um, we go to Ghana to plant more than one church. And sometimes there is a tendency for people to see rapid multiplication. But we are seeking healthy multiplication, that the Lord would do his work. Um, And we trust in Jesus to go with us. We trust in the Lord to go with us to Ghana because without him, we can't do a thing. Without Jesus, we are unable to do a thing. And my sermon today, as you rightly heard, is on the Great Commission. And the title of my sermon is Make Disciples. Make Disciples. It is based on Jesus' marching orders to his disciples at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. And these are the very last words in the Gospel of Matthew. Many scholars and commentators have already established the fact that it's not simply a great commission. It is tying up everything that has come from Matthew chapter 1 to Matthew chapter 28. So as you listen to me, I hope you make some notes. You go back to the Gospel of Matthew and you make references that I have already pointed out. You see them for yourselves. It is a very short passage, but it is dense. It is thick, Um, maybe like my accent. (laughs) But then um, in first three, when I preached this text, someone came up to me and said, wow, George, that was a lot of uh, minutes for a sermon from this very short text. And I was like, well, I had to cut a lot away. because it is very short, um, as in a text, but it is a summary. Every word Matthew is drawing on is landing. He's landing the plane. And I hope you see it as I see it. I have been encouraged by this sermon myself, so I don't preach to you. I preach to us. This sermon encourages me every now and then. Um, So would you please now turn your Bibles, if you have not already, to Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. I'll be reading from the ESV, and I know you have the NIV, that works as a translation as well. Um, And if you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Let's um, give reverence to the word of God. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, 
but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. On May 10, last year, 2022, the U.S. Ambassador, Miss Virginia Palmer, began her work in Ghana on behalf of the good people of the USA and the U.S. President. As a representative of the U.S. government, Miss Palmer knows her marching orders. Clearly, she knows what she's about. She knows what she's supposed to do in Ghana. She's under orders of the U.S. government and the U.S. president. Therefore, she's not permitted to do whatever she wants to do in Ghana. She's not permitted to do what her own desires want her to do as it comes to working in Ghana because she reports to someone higher up. And as a diplomat, she just doesn't have work to do. She has privileges, she has opportunities, she has some advantages of a diplomat. And if you've been with people who are into diplomatic circles, they even have diplomatic shops where they go to the shopping mall. And you find that in Ghana. Not everyone goes there, only diplomats go there. Um, the first time I saw that, I was surprised, but those are the privileges of a diplomat. With all these privileges, she is able to focus on the work the U.S. government has ordered her to do, has commanded her to do in Ghana. Let me submit that, likewise, the Church of the Living God is made up of ambassadors. We all, we all are ambassadors of King Jesus. And as ambassadors, we report to our King, to our Lord, to King Jesus. But here is the problem. Not many churches know what our marching orders are. And even when we do, we often take up our marching orders without taking our privileges that come along with it. We claim our orders without rightfully claiming what motivation God gives us. And the Great Commission is great because it comes from our great king who sends us on his great mission. But this great commission comes with a great privilege. And my hope is for us to see not only our great commission, but to see our great privilege that comes with it. From Matthew chapter 26 and chapter 27, Matthew begins to point us forward towards Matthew 28. He uses a key phrase, which is translated mostly as handed over. He repeats it. It is in the passion narrative. He repeats the word, handed over handed over, and he does this to draw our attention and to help our understanding. We see Jesus handed over by God, 
Then Jesus is handed over by the religious authorities. And the religious authorities hand Jesus over to the Roman authorities who end up crucifying Jesus. And we know that the Romans crucify him, but we also know that he's crucified on the cross for my sins and for your sins. But in our text today, we see something different. In the previous scenarios in chapter 26 and 27, we see that Jesus looks as though he's not in charge. It seems everyone else is handing him over. But this text brings us to a different place. We see Jesus handed all authority. Resurrected Jesus has all power. And with this power, he sends out his disciples to go make disciples of all nations. And we are going to see how we should go about making disciples. In showing the how, we get to see our need of Jesus. So the question for us this morning is, how do we make disciples? How do we make disciples? We will see how making disciples involves first, showing up to meet with Jesus. Second, believing in Jesus' authority. Third, doing all Jesus says. And fourth, having confidence in Jesus' assurance. All these four observations show how we need Jesus to make disciples. And so church, at Grace First, we need Jesus to make disciples. This is my sermon in one sentence. We need our king, who has all authority, to make disciples. Amen. Amen. So how do we make disciples? First, we show up. We show up to meet with Jesus. Take a look with me at verses 16 to 17. The first observation in our text is the 11 disciples gather in Galilee as directed by Jesus. They are not a complete 12, but they show up. We know, we know that Peter betrays Jesus, but he shows up. And they all flee when Jesus is arrested in the garden, but they show up. And, and how and why do they show up? Aren't they scared, afraid of being criticized? Well, they show up because they know who this invitation comes from. It comes from the one who extends forgiveness, not only to the disciples, but to you and to I. They show up because they know who Jesus is. Jesus gives this invitation in Matthew chapter 28, verse 10, where Jesus says to the woman, Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So up they go to the mountain in Galilee, to Galilee of the Gentiles. Jesus is specific. Of all places in Israel, go to Galilee of the Gentiles to meet me there. But why Galilee of the Gentiles? We shall soon find out. You shelf that on the shelf for us, and we will come back to it. And when they see Jesus, they worship him. They submit to King Jesus. The disciples bow down to worship Jesus, who is God in the flesh. And we all are called to worship Jesus, our king, because worship is our very right response 
to King Jesus. Worship is our right response to what Jesus has done for us and more so for who he is to us. But Matthew goes ahead and tells us more. He says some of the disciples came with doubt. Some doubted. The word translated doubt is key for us because it occurs only two times in the whole gospel of Matthew. And when Matthew uses this very word doubt, he's asking us to think about it in the context of worship. In Matthew 14, 31, we see the other occurrence of doubt, where Jesus says to Peter when he's drowning, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Doubt is part of having little faith, at least in the Gospel of Matthew. So doubt is not the same as having no faith. And I don't know, Grace First, I don't know what little faith you have this morning. I don't know many things. But one thing that I know is that I am glad you are here in the house of God this morning. You, I, I don't know what is on your chest, what is being on your prayer list, what you've been praying about, what in the quiet place in your heart that no one knows. And I don't need to know, but I'm so glad you are here this morning. I'm glad because when you show up this morning, you are showing yourself up to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You are coming to the one who has solutions to every problem of ours. But this is what this very first point points us to. Every point in this sermon is an application anyway, just so you know. The question becomes, are you showing up? Or are you forsaking the gathering of the saints? Do you make excuses to not show up? When we are coming this morning, our transportation was giving us some trouble. And my wife was driving us, and she was just like, well, will we make it? And I, I just began to think about church back home in Ghana. People will walk to, to church in Ghana. I mean, if they don't have transportation, they will walk. They show up with their feet full of dust all because they want to come to the gathering with the king and to meet the people of God. The disciples could have gone fishing. I mean, a, a, a bunch of them were fishermen. Peter was. They could have gone fishing, but they showed up. They could have gone for, oh, my child is having a sports activity, but they showed up. This meeting was not in Jerusalem. The disciples were in Jerusalem, and the meeting was supposed to be in Galilee, outside of Jerusalem. They had to walk. They didn't have the luxury of a Chevy Silverado. <laughs> and when they saw him, in verse 17, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I'm glad that Jesus is not afraid of my doubt. I'm glad that Jesus is not afraid when I show up to church and 
I am tired of all my troubles because I know that when I see him, one word, just a word from him melts all my issues. He gives me peace, perfect peace in my troubles. So to make disciples, we need to first show up. And when we show up, we hear Jesus' word. And we are called to believe all he says. So to our second observation, we should believe in Jesus' authority. Believe in Jesus' authority. You see this in verse 18. Jesus has all executive powers in heaven and on earth. And verse 18 begins the well-known Great Commission text. The word all, all, holds verses 18 to 20 together. And this is important. And actually, this is why I brought this um, pack of Oreos. So just help me out here. How do you think children love to eat this cookie? Take it apart, right? Exactly. Um, the two chocolate pieces, they just rip it apart and then go for the sugar frosting right in the center. And I, at least I see that in my house. Um, and I want to submit to you this morning that I think that is the same approach we go with the Great Commission. When we go for it, we look at the imperative, the command, make disciples. And oh, we know what we are going to do. We know what we are going to do. And we forget that the command is bracketed by two privileges. I mean, amazing privileges. That is supposed to make the command easier, lighter to do. When we take the sugar frosting, just imagine when kids take the sugar frosting. I mean, you take a little walk and you get tired. You get all this sugar um, side effect. And we forget that the designer of this cookie meant it to be taken as a whole. <laughs> that it's meant to be <laughs> together. And I think um, some engineers at MIT have made um, a research on this and realized that if you take them apart, the chances of you breaking them is so high because the designer intentionally put them together. And I think we don't want to put apart what God has put together. The word all holds these remaining verses together, and I want us to see it. When we see it, I think the aim of my sermon is done. Jesus is given all authority. It means all authority has been handed to him. The word heaven and earth occurs in the Gospel of Matthew in several places. We have it when the disciples ask Jesus, teach us to pray. There is a heaven and earth language. Whenever you have time in the remainder of the year, just take your time and underline the word heaven and earth as it happens in the Gospel of Matthew. You'll be surprised what you see. Jesus never says all authority in heaven and on earth has been taken by him. He says it has been given to him, given by God to him. This very same Jesus who is handed over by the will of God, handed over by the religious authorities, handed over to the Roman authorities who execute him, is now handed all authority. And this means, as disciples of Jesus, we need not fear any heavenly power. 
any spiritual power because we know the one who is in charge in heaven. It is our king, King Jesus. What about here on earth? We need not fear any earthly political power. The heaven language is the spiritual realm. The earthly language is the physical realm. My family and I had the privilege of going to Ghana on our vision trip um, this March of 2023. But my passport from Ghana had been expired for a while and they had already extended me grace and I had already abused the grace from the um, embassy. So we needed to travel to Washington DC to renew my passport. And um, we had the chance to walk by the White House. We didn't get to take the picture. We wanted to be very close to the White House. We don't know when we will get the opportunity again to get the whole White House at the background as we took the picture. Um, but there were security men. There were powerful military force. Uh, and we had to be far away from the White House because there was a powerful man who lives in that house. And so we couldn't go that far. That is how powerful this person in the White House is. But guess what? This person in this White House submits to this king in heaven. You see, at the end of the day, every knee will bow. The question is whether it is in heaven or in hell. No one is powerful as the God of the universe. The one who made the galaxies, who made all the Milky Way, who made the oceans, who made all the beasts and the fishes that we see. He is in charge. We, we read Isaiah 6 before in this worship service. And Isaiah 6 shows that the angels are not guarding God like the security guards, the president of the U.S. The angels are guarding us from coming to God because of how fearful, how powerful he is. God is not in need of bodyguards. This is how powerful he is. And he's called us and given us a commission. What Matthew tells us in verse 18 takes us back to Daniel 7 to point us forward. The Son of Man comes to the Ancient of Days in Daniel 7 and is given all authority. He's given all authority over all peoples, all nations, and all tongues, all languages. So we need Jesus to make disciples as a church of the living God. The question becomes, do we take power from earth to accomplish God's work? Or do we draw on heaven? Do we need our resources ultimately here and now and not depend on him? How we answer that question is seen in how we pray. How we answer that question is seen in how we trust the word of God. How we answer that question is seen in how we obey God over how we fear man. The power of heaven, beloved, is more than enough for the ministry of God's work on earth. And Jesus makes it plain in Matthew 18. He 
He says, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So how do we make disciples? He who is the head of his body empowers his body to make disciples. We need Jesus to make disciples. And Jesus doesn't stop here. He says he has all authority, and so his disciples should get to work. We should believe what Jesus says, and our right belief should inform right action. Therefore, we don't only hear and believe. We also do what Jesus says. And this is my third observation. To make disciples, we should do all Jesus says. We see this in verse 19 and the first half of verse 20, when Jesus says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. He means all nations. And nations here is not a reference to our modern understanding of nations and states. The word nation is ethnos, which is people. So literally, it is make disciples of all people. It's not a reference to Ghana, Belgium, US, or the UK. We see here ethnic groups. And this command is important because of the authority language in verse 18. All nations, you see, beloved, will answer to the one with all authority. This is why we go. I mean, I, if I'm not going because of this, I have missed the point of going to Ghana with my family. I should have better done something else with my life. I go because I love the Lord, but I go because I love the lost. I go because people need to hear this message. Because whether they like it or not, one day, there's going to be someone on the throne who will judge the world. In Matthew 25, we see a picture of this final judgment, where all nations are gathered before the Son of Man for judgment. So again, this is why the gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed to all nations before the end comes, as said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. <laughs> this mission to disciple all nations is why Galilee of the Gentiles is important. You remember I said it's to shelve that, we will come back to it. This is why Galilee of the Gentiles is important, because it picks the language from Matthew chapter 4 and hacks back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Isn't this amazing? The Matthew 28 is looking at Matthew 4. Matthew 4 is looking at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, where Jesus is identified as the son of Abraham. Oh, Abraham. We know Genesis 12, where Abraham is given a promise from God. It is Jesus who now fulfills the promise God made to Abraham. Abraham becomes a blessing to all the people of the earth through Jesus Christ. This means the king of the Jews is also the king of the nations. And it is to him every knee will bow on the day of judgment. Make disciples of all nations. This is a huge responsibility. The last time I checked, there were 13,000 ethnic groups in the world. How are Jesus' disciples, how are we, how are we able to accomplish this 
great task. It's only by humbly depending on the one who has all authority. Verse 19 begins with, go, therefore. Go is important, and so is therefore. Jesus is saying, I have all authority, therefore go. We are to go make disciples. We go because we trust and obey our king. But we go also because we love those who are lost. We don't only have to go across the ocean. Some of us will go. Some of us are going. And we can support the work God is doing across the oceans from home with what we have prayerfully and financially. But we can all do something else. We can go across our street. This is not a work reserved for some special forces. This is not a work for the Navy SEALs. You know, this is something that each disciple has the opportunity to do. It's not about beating people up with the Bible on their heads. It's about establishing relationships. It's about demonstrating compassion for them. And then you build relational capital. And through that capital, there is an opportunity. Now you get to share the gospel with them. I believe we have unbelievers in our families today. We don't need to go to a far distant country to find unbelievers. We have them in our midst, in our workplaces, among the team sports that our children play, or our grandkids play. And our aim in going is to make disciples, not to make converts. A disciple is someone who gets training. In this case, someone who is trained for the kingdom of heaven. In those days, students who complete a rabbinic school or the school of the rabbis will end up opening their own school so that they teach. And this is not only reserved for the Jews and the Jewish um, culture. Even the Greeks did it. So you find that someone like Socrates teaches Plato. Plato opens a school. Aristotle ends up going to Plato's school. And he also opens an Aristotelian school. And he ends up teaching someone by the name Alexander the Great. So you find people opening their own schools. But this is a different kind of school. This is a different kind of disciple. The disciples are to bring the nations to the school of Jesus. So as we go to Ghana, my charge is not to make disciples of George Adu. It is to make disciples of Jesus. Grace First has the same mandate, to make disciples of Jesus. Because there's only one Lord and one teacher in this school. And we see this in the process Jesus lays out for the disciples. They are to baptize the nations in one name. And there is something about this name. I, I can spend a long time on this, but we need to move on, right? There's something about this name. There's three in one name. He says, baptize them in a name, and he ends up giving three names. This is the Trinity, beloved. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism in the triune name shows God's ownership of all disciples. And it also shows who Christ is. We see who God is, who the Holy Spirit is, but we see who Christ is. Christ is not a prophet. 
Christ is not a teacher. He fulfills all that, but ultimately, Christ is God. He is the son of the living God. What we see here is that baptism is also part and parcel of making disciples. Baptism is a visible entry into the household of God, which is the church. The command to make disciples doesn't stop at baptism, though. There's more. Jesus is not looking for converts. He's looking for disciples. So he says, teach them. Teach the converts all he has commanded. And we don't get to pick and choose which commandment of Jesus we obey. We see a chunk of this commandment in Matthew chapter 5 to chapter 7 called the Sermon on the Mount. But he's referring to all of scripture here. And I just want to pick a few for us to see how Matthew is pointing us to some of the teachings of Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount shows how Jesus did not come to abolish the law of God. You see this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 to 20. Rather, he comes to call us to greater obedience to God's law. He says in Matthew 5, 18, until heaven and earth, again, note the language of heaven and earth, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. God's law is not abolished in Jesus. Rather, it is elevated higher. And so Jesus calls us not only to stop hating our enemies. That's what the law requires, right, in Matthew 5. He calls us to actively love and pray for our enemies. These teachings in Matthew are meant to be obeyed. They are not a suggestion. They are not a great suggestion. They are a great commandment. So teaching the nations is not for head knowledge. It's for obedience. Our actions are meant to be formed in a way that comes as a result of a transformed heart. And we don't have the right to change the game plan. Teaching follows after baptism in the order we have here. And Jesus never tells us when his disciples are to graduate from this school of life because it is not a four-year college program. It is a call to lifelong obedience in God's kingdom. So yes, we are to go. We are to baptize. We are to teach. And as a church on mission, Grace First, let's care for all of these three aspects of the Great Commission. Going, baptizing, and teaching. And we need Jesus to get this work done. Because only Jesus causes hearts to respond to his word. Only Jesus causes hearts to respond to his word from beginning. When we go and open our mouths and we share and we demonstrate in our hearts and our lives what we mean by what we are sharing, only God causes hearts to respond to the gospel from beginning to the end. Only God saves. So our responsibility to make disciples should make us seek his presence all the more. Let's seek Jesus in the word we preach, in the word we teach, in our devotions. Let's seek Jesus in prayer. 
I love that hymn so much. I need thee every hour. I have one of the most horrible voices, but I love that song. I always say, I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour, I need you. Every hour. I don't need you every year, every week. I need you every hour. We need Christ to go with us. And Christ has promised us his presence, his very presence. So we should have comfort in Jesus' assurance. You can see this in verse 20b. This is our fourth and final observation. Have comfort in Jesus' assurance. King Jesus assures us of his all-day, everyday presence. Therefore, this is not a lone ranger kind of assignment. I'm not picking myself up with my family and hoping we are going for mission impossible. It is a mission possible. Mission possible because of the God of all possibilities. He is with us on this journey. He is with us. We are not alone on the king's mission. Grace First is not alone on the king's mission. Our king with all authority is with us. Jesus says, I, myself, I am with you all days to the end of the age. This is how it reads in the original language, in the Greek. You find it, you find the all in there, all days, every day. It is very emphatic. Jesus is our major resource on his mission. His very presence gives us strength. I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. This should give us a sense of joy. I mean, not tomorrow, I mean right now. Jesus is with us right now. He's with us in the valleys of our troubles and our pains. He's with us on the hills of our celebration. He's with us on the oceans when the billows roll. He's with us when the tempest comes down. He's with us in every sphere of life. Tomorrow, Monday, he's with us. As you go to work, as you engage in your activities, as you do other things, God is with you. This is assuring. One pastor said it so well. He says that the assurance of Jesus and the joy of Jesus should make us joyful in the gospel. And, and this is the way he phrased it. In terms of serving the gospel, we want to go out and serve, right? But I believe unbelievers can sniff us out when we are not being joyful about the message we want to share. I mean, if you are going to tell me that Jesus loves me and that Jesus died for me, and you are saying it as though you are in a funeral, I, I will know. I'm like, I don't want that kind of Jesus. I mean, Jesus rescued me from death. I am going to die one day. Anyone who has come from a womb will one day go to the tomb. I'm going to die one day. We all are going to die because the last time I checked, the mortality rate was still 100%. But I have someone who is going to hold my hands through all of this to his presence. That should spark a sense of joy in me, animate me, so that people can see it when I'm telling them about this truth, this assurance I have in Christ. It must bleed out. It must come out. 
This is how he says it. You cannot faithfully serve the gospel if you do not personally enjoy the gospel. Let's think about it for a moment. You can't, you can't faithfully serve the gospel until you have personally enjoyed the gospel. Are we those who enjoy the gospel? We are at Grace Fest, right? Are we enjoying the grace? The grace, the grace of God. How do we see our faith in Christ? When unbelievers see us, do they see a sense of joy we have? Are unbelievers able to detect, detect the resurrection hope we have in Christ? Unbelievers need to see that Christ is not our burden, that he's our joy. That Emmanuel is not a source of sorrow and pain, but he's our joy. And this great I am assurance comes and is tied together with the great mission to make his disciples. And this is good news for all of the disciples of Jesus who are on his great mission, who are ensuring that Grace First fulfills its mission in Wichita. Jesus' powerful presence is not to serve our own little agendas. King Jesus' presence serves King Jesus' agenda. Jesus is with us always to the end of the age. And in Matthew 18, he again says this, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. He who is the head of his body is always with his body till the end of the age, till the tying up of history. He gives this personal assurance to his church. And this is where it gets so amazing for me. I love the Gospel of Matthew so much. When Pastor Josh asked me to preach the last sermon in the Gospel of Matthew, I was so excited. It, it gave me the joy of trying to track down everything from Matthew chapter 1. And, and one thing I saw, which was encouraging for me, I hope it encourages you. And as we go to Ghana, I have that at the back of my mind. Matthew chapter 1 begins with this assurance of a personal presence and comfort of Jesus. Matthew 1 says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then Matthew ends his whole gospel with this same emphatic statement. And behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. It brackets the whole of the gospel. Emmanuel's abiding presence with his church is full of assurance. And as disciples, we have the joy to trust and obey him. Him who has all authority and giving us all his assurance of his presence. Church, let's lay claim to this great privilege we have as we go about our mandate. Let's lay hold of this motivation we have. Claim this privilege, not only for today. Don't let it evaporate at the door or at the entrance. Claim it for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, through to Saturday and Sunday. This is an all-day affair. Grace first, the Great Commission is Christ's mission. It's our mission. 
in an age of distraction and discouragement. I hope we see the world as God sees it. There's so many things vying for our attention, but I'm a very simple-minded person, and I see how simple this message is. In God's eyes, there are so many things we want to do. We chase things down. We hope to accomplish before we turn 80. From 18 to 80, we fill our life with so many things. But this is how God sees the world, and I hope we see it. We strain, we wrestle, we fight to see it. There are only those in Christ and those outside of Christ. It's as simple as that. I mean, I think you can complicate it as much as you want, but it's that simple. It is the reason why our world needs to hear the gospel proclaimed, lived out by us, and God has guaranteed our success with the resurrection of his son, the power of his spirit, all to the praise of his glory. So let's remain on mission. Let's go and make disciples of all nations. Let's baptize and teach obedience of all Jesus has commanded. And as we teach obedience, I hope we are first and foremost a people who obey our king. We don't ask others to come and obey King Jesus when we are not a people who obey him. We do all he commands us without forgetting our privileges in Jesus. King Jesus has all authority. Oh, that picture in Daniel 7. That picture in Matthew 24. That picture in Matthew 25. A judgment day is coming. A judgment day. I'm not assuming that all of you here are believers. I, I, I would like to assume that, but I don't assume it. If you are here and you don't know Jesus Christ, please just hear me out. Whether you like it or not, you are going to be before him. And you are also going to bow before him. The question is, is it going to be in heaven or in hell? As you hear my voice, please turn. Turn to him in repentance. Turn from your sins if you've not trusted him. And get to enter his kingdom and live a life of obedience and joy. Christ's acceptance of you is not based on your merit or what you've done. And he is welcoming you into his presence as you turn away from your sins to him.